I'm George Lizos, spiritual teacher, psychic killer, and number one best-selling author. Growing up in a small and Christian community, I was judged and rejected for being gay and different. After a futile two-year attempt to change who I was born to be, I called myself a human abomination and almost took my own life. Fortunately, in my darkest moment, I saw the light and ventured on a healing journey of love, forgiveness, and spiritual awakening. Yet my dating life since hasn't always been all roses and rainbows, and my past dramas and traumas have definitely kept things spicy. Fast forward past many awkward dates and disappointing sex, I created Can't Host to challenge toxic gay stereotypes, explore the complex dynamics of gay sex and relationships, and create opportunities for healing and growth. If you're a gay guy seeking more joy, freedom, and authenticity in your sex, life, and relationships, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Can't Host the Podcast. I'm your host, George Lizos, and I am so excited for today's episode. We're talking all about gay sex tantra and essentially how to have fulfilling sexual experiences, whether it is casual experiences or with our partner. Today, my guest is Finn Deerhart, who is a sex and intimacy coach, helping gay and queer men ignite their eroticism and step into their emergent selves. Let me tell you a little bit about Finn. Through his courses, workshops, retreats, and private sessions, men learn tools to confront their limitations, unravel internal narratives of shame, and spark deeper human connections grounding themselves into a deeper experience of life. He also creates educational erotic content and provides on-site erotic coaching for various organizations, including Himeros TV, an online service that provides explicit educational content for queer men. And you can find Finn on Instagram at FinnDearheart or his website, FinnDearheart.com. All the links of his websites and channels are in the show notes below. So let's talk a little bit about the content we're going to share in today's episode. It's so fun and so deep as well, pun intended. <laughs> we're going to talk about gay men's biggest sex issues and what's at the core of them and also how we can start overcoming them. We're going to talk about the collective shame that many gay men are feeling and how this is impacting our sexual lives. We're going to talk about Gay Tantra, what it is and what the benefits are, and Finn shares with us some fun, practical exercises that we can use solo as well as in a couple. We're going to talk about the role that communication plays in sex and how we can communicate our desires with our partners, even if that's part of casual sex. We're going to talk about the formula for a fulfilling sex life and also how we can use porn in an empowering way and as a way and as a tool for self-growth. And Finn shares a beautiful analogy of seeing porn as a mirror. So we're going to get more into that in the episode. Finn shared some powerful books with us in this episode and all the links for the books are in the show notes below. So make sure to check them out. I'm definitely adding them to my Audible wish list. And if you're enjoying this episode and the podcast, please support us by subscribing and by giving us a five-star review as this will allow the podcast to be discovered by more people. And of course, share this podcast with people that you know will benefit from the content. Okay, let's get these gay parties started. Hey, Finn, how are you? Hi, I'm pretty good. Thanks for bringing me on and for hosting this. I mean, it's a really important conversation in general, right? 
Yes, and I'm so excited to chat about gay sex tantra and how it essentially have fulfilling sexual relationships. And I want to preface this this chat with my own personal story of why I wanted to have this episode and why I wanted to have you on to chat about this. Yeah. First of all, for the, for the most part of my life, I realized over the past years that I, I haven't been having fulfilling sex. When I look back on my teenage years and then my 20s, I felt that I forced myself to have sex because of FOMO, because I felt pressured in the gay community because it's so sex oriented. Mm. But there was no intimacy. There was no communication. There was no respect for what I like or what I don't like. And things only started shifting for me over the past two years that I started healing my relationship with my body, started becoming conscious of the fact that, you know what, I've been forcing myself to have sex I didn't want to have, and therefore mm. dealing with a lot of the sexual trauma that I had been accumulating throughout my life and a lot of the limiting beliefs and letting go of the shame that I didn't know I had around gay sex and therefore starting to communicate to myself and to my sexual partners as to what I actually wanted. So I had a huge epiphany and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been spending my entire like 10 years, like an entire decade having unfulfilling sex <laughs> and not really realizing it. And I know that many guys go through similar experiences and many people in general. Yeah. So I want to hear, first of all, a little bit about your own journey of coming to terms with your sexuality and also becoming a sex and intimacy coach. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. What, what was it that, that led you to that epiphany that you had? Yeah. So essentially, I have, I've always taught in my work that our triggers are the doorways to our traumas. And I only yeah. realized that when I experienced it, because yeah. I was uh, going to a gay nudist beach where I am here in Cyprus. And then I was there with my best friend and he was getting a lot of attention. And I wasn't getting attention. And that triggered all the shame that I had felt, all yeah. the self-judgment that I had throughout my life. So it's it all started coming up to the surface and I was having panic attacks. And I'm like, you know what, I, I teach this work, I need to now have the courage to do it myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, let's see what beneath that. And then I started untangling the limiting beliefs and the fears and the traumas. Eventually, I had to work with uh, a trauma therapist to deal with a lot of that. And it was so successful that I trained in trauma therapy myself. And now I do this work for other people too. So it was mm. basically noticing on my triggers and no longer denying them, which I feel so many people are doing. I agree. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's like, a, that's a beautiful explanation of something similar that I felt, which was why I got into this work. Like you asked about my journey is, you know, I had come out of the closet a lot later. Like I had been married to a woman for eight years. I got married when I was 23 and just was doing the best that I could to keep all the you know, the different parts of myself in check. <laughs> um, and then I came out later. And so then I was like, oh, I'm out of the closet. It was like 31 at that point in time, 31 years old. And I felt like, oh, I'm I'm out now. I'm, I don't have shame. I can just do what I want. But I actually very much became aware of the shame because I just, you know, I wouldn't let people get close to me. And when I started dating guys, I could tell that there was like an avoidance of getting closer. And then when I got with one man that I, he's still my partner, actually. It was like, 
I couldn't stay aroused. I couldn't just like his attention, his focus. Like I started feeling the effect of all of the things in my past that I hadn't really let myself feel before, you know, cause in a hookup, it was easy for me to just, you know, project onto the person and feel like I was getting a sexual need met without having to feel all the other stuff that I was carrying. So anyway, that really got me curious. I got into therapy at that point. And then I just started hosting men's groups because I was a wellness coach at the time. And I thought, oh, well, I'm curious if other guys are, you know, and I started talking and this is kind of the way I am. If there's something going on for me, whatever is going on for me in my life, yeah. I, I start talking about with everybody. <laughs> so I was, and I was in San Francisco and guys were like, either like, no, I don't worry about that, you know, <laughs> or they were like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> I feel that I'm so, so glad to hear you say this. I've been feeling so, you know, and so that, and that happened a lot where men were like really intrigued and there wasn't a lot going on. I mean, there were some men's groups, but not a lot at the time that were specific around sex and intimacy. And so I started hosting these groups and men were coming together and then they, they grew to like 30, 40, 50 guys and monthly. And the more I heard people share and open up about what they were feeling, it was so confirming that like, okay, this is something that we all are experiencing on some level. And it just became my work. It wasn't something I just set out to do. It just started from that point. And that's where I started the journey to now. At the time, I was apprenticing with a Tantra practitioner who uh, worked with queer people. Yeah. And I was learning a lot about Tantra. And then he became a co-facilitator with me for those groups. But then as I was going on, I also started to, I started offering one-on-one -on -one sessions with guys to like help just have more of a personal conversation. And then I started realizing like I need some counseling skills and some ability yeah. to really like hold these conversations. So I studied at Modern Sex Therapy Institutes and got a sex counselor certification. So it's kind of a spectrum of like, you know, informed by Tantra, but also from sex therapy. And, and that kind of created my own unique yeah, blend. Path. Yeah, yeah, blend, exactly. And I do facilitate retreats with Jason Tantra of Tantra for Gay Men. And we do once a year uh, a residential retreat, but that's the extent of the Tantra work that I do specifically. Yes. I love that. Okay, let's dive deep <laughs> into sex and intimacy. And I want to start because you, you've had so much experience with coaching gay men around sex and intimacy. What do you see mostly is blocking men from having fulfilling sex? Well, it's interesting because it shows up in so many varieties. Yeah. But I think that underneath all those different variables, it's a very similar experience of little boys aren't taught to be in contact with their feelings and they're taught to, you know, separate themselves from their feelings and then they're reinforced for that. And then they're um, traumatized if they are allowing themselves to show feelings as children. Right. And they stop receiving touch from their parents and caregivers earlier than, than female children do. Yeah. And so there's like this really strong socialization where um, men just are denied access to so many parts of themselves and simultaneously rewarded for not allowing that to come through. Mm. And then they go to sex to meet a lot of needs that they don't know what the needs are, but it's just like, I like sex and I want sex, you know, and it's, yes, there's desire, but they're using sex a lot as a keyhole to get so many needs met for like vulnerability, for affection, for softness, for contact with their feelings, for uh, meeting their feelings of sadness and meeting their feelings of anger and aggression and anything, right? It's like 
any feeling, they're like, well, they'll go to sex to try to feel those feelings or sports or work. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then, so, so I think that that's a long answer, but I think it's universal in the sense that men are, and then queer men are even more, you know, carrying this vicarious trauma and a deeper sense of rejection. Everyone feels a sense of rejection that in some way it's human. But then I think queer people are carrying an extra heaping helping of that because a lot of heterosexual men kind of like get to fly under the radar because the culture celebrates them so openly for being in denial of their feelings. But then queer people can't fly under the radar. And so they're carrying, you know, what all people feel and being forced to do it in the open. So anyway, they go to sex and then there's like this whole layer of like, you know, well, fine, fuck you. I can't, if you, if I, I'm going to have sex then, you know, and they just, you know, and it's part of the identity. And so there's like this whole culture built around permission around sex, which is important. But in that there's like a, a reaction against everything that came before. And then, you know, it's like, how do you even start to deal with that? You know, so there's not really space made for men. So I think in, in general, it's that it's like finding parts of themselves, accessing parts of themselves, allowing sex to, to bring them in contact with the feelings that, that are feeling um, unresolved and wanting to be touched and acknowledged and honored and healed. And it's just really, can be really challenging. Essentially trying to fulfill something that hasn't been fulfilled for a long period of time. And it goes all the way back to the, to the childhood, like these yeah. need to be held, to be seen, to be understood, to be accepted. And then that's not given, especially for many people, for many gay men from our parents. So yes. we act it out in, in a sexual relationship where we want the intimacy in the moment, but then we're, we are afraid of, of maintaining that intimacy because we're not ready to face what's lacking within us because we haven't given that to ourselves and or we haven't been given that from other people yes and the irony of it all is that we go to sex often to try to get away from those feelings yes the sex actually brings you right back to them yeah so then you're like forced to feel them because the sex is just bringing contact to everything that you haven't said yes to you know and again this is universal human suffering right like yes this deep sense of fear and pain and inadequacy and my fear of mortality, all this stuff, you know, it just, yeah. And then sex puts that pressure on it. And then it's up. At least from my experience, when I look back in my like sexual encounters, like my casual sex encounters, I feel like I've established attachments way more easily than other people. And therefore I get hooked into these relationships, even though it's a one night stand, for example, I develop feelings really fast. And I'm thinking right now that it may have to do with my lack of that self-love that I hadn't experienced as a child or that lack of acceptance. And therefore, I'm hungry for it. I'm desperate for it. And then I'm finding part of it in this ephemeral experience of a sexual encounter. And then I am latching onto it, (laughs) holding onto it and wanting that to be it, wanting that to be what I've been missing and what is still unhealed within me. Do you, have you seen that in other people as well? Yes. Or is it just me? <laughs> no. Well, it's me too, actually. I feel very much I can relate to what you're saying. You know, that can, and some people, yeah, it's going to activate that strong sense of like, stay close. Please don't go away. Let's be close yeah. forever. And then in some people, the being seen is actually what causes them to push away the connection. Mm. You know, so it's like, oh, no, no, I'm not available for that. So it's kind of different for different people. But basically, yes, our caregivers, it's, you know, inconsistent meaning of our needs and the different ways that we 
cope with that as children. We, some of us develop a really strong anxiety and like an attachment that's just like, come quick. You know, I want to be in this relationship quick. And, and then others of us develop this, like, well, I never had what I needed. So I just don't really think I need that anyway. I'll just mm-hmm. <laughs> push it away. <laughs> and then so they suffer too, because of this feeling of isolation. Both of those examples are kind of yes. extreme examples, but they both are an isolation from the true self, which is not dependent on that other person, you know, for a sense of well-being, but our relationships are going to bring us to that trigger. You know, like for instance, what you mentioned and shared, have you, you've worked on that pattern or have you noticed that in yourself? Like how have you? Yes, it is that pattern of switching from codependency to independency and the extremes that you mentioned that comes from an insecure attachment style, of course, when you go all the way back to, to the childhood. But the way I've dealt with it was firstly realizing what's happened and then starting to reparent myself mm-hmm. and, and, and talk to my inner child and go all the way back to those times of my life that I haven't felt seen or accepted or, or loved and do the inner work of healing that, acknowledging that, appreciating my inner child for going through that and then giving me that love. And yes. not just the superficial ways, or oh, I'm, I'm going to buy me flowers and I'm going right, to give me right. a bubble bath, which Massage. is important and fun. <laughs> but it's not just that. It's, it's all about, you know what, prioritizing myself and, and knowing my boundaries and learning to say no when I don't enjoy something anymore, rather than just allowing myself to go through with it because I ended up in a situation. I, I 100% agree. I and mean, I've dealt with that too um, in myself, just to kind of like slow down and be like, well, what is really happening for me? I'm noticing this really strong desire to attach to this person really quickly. And I don't really yeah. know this person fully. So that's kind of interesting, right? But I also think it's, you know what, I love Jessica Fern's work, um, Polysecure, because she brings up what's called the nested model of attachment, which means it's mm-hmm. like, yes, our caregivers and the way that they responded to us directly, but it's also so much more. It's like the social forces around us, the communities in which we grow up, uh, you know, race, and sex come into a really sharp focus and our, our connection to the planet, you know, like having a really disconnected, dis, like dismissive attachment with our planet affects our ability to feel safe and grounded in our bodies and in relationships. There's a lot yeah. of different variables. Um, I love that nested model of attachment because you're right. It's not just our parents. It's so much. Like yeah. if, if I think back on my own personal experience growing up in a small island in the Mediterranean where until 1998, it was illegal to be gay. And I was eight years old at the time. So growing up into that cultural environment of homophobia and rejection of course, affected me and created this and complemented that insecure sense of attachment that I had felt from parents or from peers or from society in general. So I think it's so important that you're right for every single person to understand the unique factors that have contributed to their sense of feeling disconnected to their own sexuality and therefore creating those extremes of codependency, independency, and all that trauma. Which brings me to shame is such a huge topic when it comes to gay people. I've only started realizing it consciously this year after reading the... Um... Oh, The Velvet Rage. Yes, thank you. The Velvet yeah. Rage. I, I listened to the book on the, on the Audible and yeah. like my mind was blown because mm-hmm. I had felt those emotions, but I hadn't put words to them until I read the book and I realized how much collective shame we have that's so embedded into our psyche that even if we're out of the closet and we're proudly in a relationship and having sex and owning it, we're still subversely controlled by that shame. 
Can yes. you talk a little bit about, or a lot, <laughs> about how that shame affects <laughs> our sex lives? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't, you know, I really, not to be a downer, but I don't know that we ever really free ourselves from it. You know, there's this whole, like, cultural, uh, there's something about our modern day and times and technology, and there's this, like, assumption of omnipotent reality. It's like, well, we can do anything. We can change everything in five steps. And just you, you're not working hard enough. And I think that sets people up for really hard. Like we don't have a sense of limits when we consider and we need limits. We need to go, you know, what? I can only do so much. And it, because it changes how we respond and not because it's like, let's just be in a doom spiral. And, but to say, okay, here's the shame again. That doesn't mean I've failed. That means I'm seeing it from a new perspective or here's yes. a new, new situation that's bringing it up and how I respond to that whether I'm compassionate with myself, which can be really hard to cultivate that ability or just to kind of like believe it, you know, and go down the tubes. And I love what you said. I don't, I'm going to paraphrase. It's something about it. You know, we might decide to like maybe mentally or in our ego to like really embrace our sexuality, right. Or embrace our identity in a specific way, whether that's sexually or um, racially or whatever, like religiously, but there's the psyche is actually so much more than our conscious mind, mm. you know? So we're continually engaging with the unconscious and like the mixed like psyches of other people that, we, you know, all these unseen forces. And so it's going to keep coming up. It's going to keep showing itself. And the body is uh, for me, like the body is the ground, you know? So it's like, okay, I'm with my partner who, you know, in most ways I feel very accepted by. And you would think, oh, well, then that's just easy then. Well, all the shame is gone because you love me and you accept me. But that's not true. You know, it's like there'll be like I get activated or triggered because we're I'm not getting something I need from him emotionally. And then I start to feel scared. And then like we're having sex and I feel like I'm kind of hiding and my body feels less responsive or, you know, and it's that kind of stuff. And so people I'm like, if you want to look for shame, look for how you avoid, look for the inhibitions that show up in sex, you know, if you're feeling like you're watching yourself from the side of the room or feeling like you're losing sensation in your body somehow, or just, you know, all those little defenses that, that really are meant well, like the body is doing the best that it can to protect us from something that was at one point in time too much for us. Right. So I think our bodies are going to show us those answers if we really listen and tune in. And so for gay men too, um, you know, substances as a gateway to really exciting sex, right? Like, of course, substances accelerate. They help us respond more chemically inside of our bodies. So we're having mm -hmm. like, you know, these experiences that feel augmented and they feel transcendent. And they're like, really? So in gay men are utilizing those substances a lot to feel, I guess, what we can all feel if we just allow ourselves to feel um, the pain too, and do that work. And to cover so, up the shame. Yeah, because it's gonna like, it's like, if I do that work and really learn to hold myself in high regard yeah in these states of being and feelings that suck like they just are not there's never fun you know like and this it's happened maybe like a month ago for me and my partner i was just feeling so exposed in a way that i hated and felt so embarrassed and he was really beautifully tuned in and held me and just let me be in that space but i had to just sit and feel it you know until it passed and like Oh, I hated it. I fucking hate that, you know, but like allowing that, you know, to the more that I do that, then the less I would maybe need a substance or something to jump because I feel stronger and I feel more confident. It's like, if we look at what's in the dark closet and you really work through it the best you can, I think it's easier yeah. to hold yourself in high regard and say, okay. And you can kind of spot on other people like, oh, he's really, 
he's dealing with a lot. And if somebody's not doing that work on purpose, yeah. you know, it's a societal, it's a societal yeah. thing in the sense that nobody teaches us how to do the inner work. Nobody no. teaches us emotional regulation techniques at school, which no. they shoot or how to meditate or how to go within and, and, and how to understand our feelings. And therefore all we try to do and all society teaches us is cover up your feelings. When you mm -hmm. see someone cry, they're like, oh, don't cry. We see it all the time on like uh, reality yeah. TV. Like I see Real yeah. Housewives of Beverly Hills. And oh. whenever someone's crying, they're like, don't cry, honey. Don't cry. I'm like, let her cry. Let her, let like, her wail. <laughs> let her wail and express how she feels. Otherwise, she's going to suppress that and cover it up. Oh, let's go on a shopping spree to like overcome. No, <laughs> You're, you can't cover it up with, with alcohol or with, or, or with drugs or with shopping or with sex or with anything. You got to mm -hmm. feel that. So I think that it's a collective issue that we're having as a society in general, but it's amplified, I feel, with, with gay men because of this collective shame that stems from being rejected our entire lives. Imagine growing up in the world and the world tells you what you are and who you are is wrong. And you go through the whole journey of trying to make peace with it and you're facing so much resistance from re resistance from religion from society from your peers telling you you're wrong trying to convince them you know what i'm actually i'm actually good like <laughs> i was born this way and trying to convince that and finally accepting yourself all those years of acting essentially and convincing can't really be completely disregarded in a moment of acceptance oh here i am I've accepted myself. Now I'm a proud gay man. You right. still have so much of that history of suppressing that. Every single gay man has their own journey of suppressing and going through the coming out period. But for many people, it's, it's quite traumatic. So all that judgment creates a sense of I'm not good. I'm not a good person. And therefore sex and especially gay sex is bad. Mm -hmm. Going back to my own experiences, up until recently whenever i have sex i feel slightly guilty afterwards less mm -hmm. and less with time okay but talking about it even starting this podcast i went back and forth around starting this podcast for quite a while because i'm like oh my god i'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about sex i'm gonna share my sex life with people what will people wow. think are is my community <laughs> going to abandon me is my publisher going to drop me like what am i doing am i committing like brand suicide i'm like you know what it's a universal <laughs> activity <laughs> people have so much trauma right. what's wrong with talking about yes sex? i know it, it's madness it, isn't it it's yes, madness. it comes from shame and i'm someone who has written three books around the inner work. And here I am still going through this shit. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad that you are in such a bold way and that you're actually putting these conversations out there. Because yeah. we have to confront it like collectively as a community, I feel. Not just gay men, the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, can, I think there's something about our relationship to control. This is a very universal kind of feeling, right? Is the existential anxiety in humans relating to the to the grand like question mark of it all yeah it's like how do we you know so we establish really strong ego identities to be very certain and to feel safe in the world and against that it's the inner conflict is inside of us it's like yes we can project it onto like well the church says this and then that's all playing out in the culture yes but it's actually in the in the mind where it's like these instinctive drives in me put me at odds with my need to control myself and my need to have control in the world. And so then that inner conflict is really challenging to be with. Cause like on one hand, I'm an animal 
and, you know, want to compete and get what I want and be in touch with my power, you know, and in an instinctive way. And then there's like the part of me that like relates to spiritual values and equanimity and, you know, it's, 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 so it's an inner thing of acceptance and wholeness. And it's really challenging. Hundred percent. I don't think it's fair though to just blame religion or just to blame culture. No, it's not. Right. It's like in ourselves, you know, and in the body. It's everything. It's a, it's, 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 I think of this nexus, this energetic nexus of so many different factors and we are in the center of it. Mm -hmm. And we all come with a certain understanding of ourselves and the world. And we also come, if you want to think about it spiritually with soul contracts and lessons we came here to learn. Mm -hmm. And it's how this, what we're given interacts with the world around us in a very dynamic way to create unique circumstances for us to learn those lessons and overcome them. So if you think about it from a spiritual perspective, nothing ever goes wrong. <laughs> we're just here to learn those lessons. And possibly we, we were meant or chose to experience certain kind of traumas so we can learn and get to, for me, do this podcast, for example, and create change and create healing. In the, in the big scale of things, it's all good. I agree. That's what I'm trying and- to say. Yeah. And, you know, there's something that I think is really important too, which is, you know, since I do this work, sometimes like I can get in a silo, right. Where I'm just only talking about sex and intimacy and the ways that it shows up there and all that. But one thing I really, I love systems theory and how everything is in a system. So it's all like the trait in one person can't exist without the system supporting it or interrelating with it. Yes. Salvador Mnuchin says trying harder doesn't work. What, what works is trying something different. So, you know, for instance, whenever I started really cultivating other capacities in myself outside of sex, like my writing or just getting more authentic about other desires I had in my life, I felt the effect of feeling more confidence in my sex too. And I think a lot of queer people are just, it's like going to the, the sex again and again to try to like rectify the um the sense of maybe lack of meaning or understanding around their pains but what if like we connect to a sense of meaning and purpose you know outside of sex well then we start to feel that in ourselves and then our sex reflects that same purpose too going to different parts of us to get help versus like the same place and seeing ourselves as part of systems ancestral systems societal systems cultural systems religious systems helps us understand this and understand ourselves on on a deeper way Okay, let's get into the <laughs> spicy part of this conversation and talk okay. a little bit about- I thought about... we were spicy. I thought we were getting spicy. <laughs> let's get even more spicy. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's Probably talk about day. gay tantra. What is gay tantra? How are we going to benefit from it if we were, for example, to learn more about it? Well, I would say gay tantra is just, you know, tantra that's adapted for gay men and classical tantra is very- Heteronormative. It's heteronormative, yeah, and there's a mythical component to it that I think doesn't really quite apply or translate into our modern day. Yeah, um, and then there is like a heteronormative framing around it, which has been in revision. But I think what I've noticed with like Tantra for Gay Men, for instance, like Jason Tantra's work, he strips it of that heteronormative frame and brings it into like a common kind of vernacular for gay men. And for instance, here's a, here's an example. I went to yep. a tra- Tantra retreat with my partner probably like six years ago or like a day long retreat wasn't like a full and we were the only gay guys there and uh there was this exercise where we were supposed to be connecting to this goddess lolita you know and one of us had to be in the shiva witness you know which is generally associated with the male and the other of us was going to be in the shakti and so my partner and i were kind of like well do you want to and he was like well i don't want to do shakti will you do shakti i was like okay fine i'll do it you know (laughs) 
And yeah. I, it was like, and I, and generally I feel really good about the feminine aspects of myself in, in most ways, but in this day, it was horrible for me because I'm like sitting here with like, all, it was, I was basically in a room full of straight people and I was standing up with the ladies to like kind of twirl around. There's like this like ritual where he was supposed to chant into his fingers, like some Sanskrit and touch my forehead. I'm supposed to rise and twirl and take off some of my clothing. And I'm just thinking like, this sucks. This is not how gay men think. This is not what happens at sex clubs, sex parties. This is like the opposite of what they're going to want to. And then like, it just kept getting worse because the ladies were taking off their clothes. And then I was supposed to like lay down on the floor with them while their partners were like pleasuring them. And I just felt like, I had to put like this is really strong. Like I'm not a lady though, you know. It just kind of like defense yeah, yeah, in yeah. place, you know. Because I now I've been really persecuted for the feminine aspects of me as a child. Anyway, I knew then I was like, this is not the conversation yeah. that most gay men are going to be willing to have, and it needs to be different. So I found other resources, and so you know, Jason's work, for instance, it's just guys with guys or male identified beings with male identified, and it's. You know, we talk about sucking, fucking sex at the club, just in a way where guys can go, oh, okay, that relates to me. <laughs> because I don't know, most most guys don't get up and think like, you know, about Shiva and Shakti. And they, they think don't. about getting their dick sucked or, you know, it's, it's like, but the principles are still important. The relevant. So, yeah. So that's what I would say. And Tantra means the weave. Okay. It just means the weave. So everything is connected. Follow your desire, letting desire lead you, but also cultivating the practiced awareness in yourself of what happens when you give into desire. So you study yourself, you gather this data of how you feel in the moment, and you use that as a, as a learning tool, you know, and deepen your connection with self, your body and others and the planet and the universe. And that that's how I look at Tantra. Could you give us like a practical exercise that anyone could do either with a partner yes. or with themselves totally. to, to get more intimate and experience more fulfillment in their sex lives? Yes, I would say, hands down, one of the most important things we can do is affirmative self-pleasure, getting in front of a mirror and just pausing and not going to the mirror to try to fix something, you know, because we're pretty quick to start looking at like, what you know, I do have something yeah. in my teeth and my eyes, and I know I got to put my eyebrows, all that shit. And to just kind of wait till that passes and to see yourself and really look in your eyes as if like, I want to see you, I want to really get to see you. And deepen that intimate connection with yourself and then do some breath and then maybe you take off your clothes and like pleasure yourself in front of the mirror starting with maybe like touching your hands and feet and not just going straight for the genitals and um, really giving yourself touch and connection and then interspersing like maybe genital touch while you're touching other parts of your body so that you can start to map together the the sensation and the experience of sensation on the genitals at the same time that you're touching other things you're kind of mapping your skin and your nerves to like experience multiple points of focus and deep, deep, deep breath and kind of increasing your intensity trying not to get focused on ejaculation or an orgasm but just staying focused on the experience of what it feels like to be in pleasure and witness yourself it's very different than like oh i'm horny and gonna get off you know like that's a different yeah. way of being and, and i'm not saying that's wrong i'm just saying that that way won't usually deliver um inquiry and kind of an insight in this kind of way because then what guys will experience is like well i can't stop thinking about my body or i can't stop you know talking shit to myself or i can't get aroused or i just you know and that's great like that's good information let's just <laughs> write yeah. that down journal about it meditate what now what do we need to do with that information okay so i have these cognitive distractions that i can that govern me you know and to work on that stuff anybody can do that and it's going to deliver an experience of truth of some kind and then you can yes, integrate because... that in 
Yeah. Usually when we jerk off, we're just like using porn to do so. So we don't have that mirror. We, we instead consume information and we are not in touch with what's going on in our minds, what's going on within our bodies. But you're right. When we do the mirror work, essentially, which is like a, a such a practice process, like mirror work was developed by Louise Hay. Yeah. And there is so much around doing affirmations around that. But why not bring in the sexual experience there and see what comes up uh, when yes. it comes to fears, limiting beliefs? and also getting to know what we like pleasure wise can we do this exercise in a couple as well and what is a similar process you would recommend with like a partner okay yeah and before i go there i actually wanted to touch on something you just said about porn because it's it is a mirror it's a kind of a it's like a funhouse mirror yes so what we're not aware of when we watch porn in general i'm generalizing but it's like those are your associations that you're projecting onto other people, right? So it's like, it lives in my psyche, but if I'm watching a video of another man, I'm projecting onto him, like what I think he's feeling, thinking, what, mm. what led him to that situation, the emotional dynamics that are getting, they're all mine, Yeah. but it's being thrown onto this like screen or canvas that doesn't deliver the reciprocal kind of like understanding or insight. So the thing with like the mirror piece is like, you can kind of, you can work into that. And for instance, I had a client, this was like a kind of like, this particular example epitomizes why this is helpful because he was um, chasing after certain types of men with this really big bodies and really big dicks and felt kind of like in that experience for him, there was also a self-loathing that, you know, that he wasn't good enough. And he kind of got to that. So he was doing a lot of mirror practicing at the time. And one day he was looking down at his arm while he was playing with himself and he saw the veins in his arm and his forearm. And he kind of like had this mental association with his arm that he like projects onto other guys' dicks. And he thought, oh my God, my arm looks like a dick and it's like really big. And I'm saying, he just kind of felt that energy in himself for the first time. And it was this massive shift for him where he was like, oh my God, like it's in me, you know? And so you might have preferences that you like in bodies and stuff, but the necessity that they deliver this emotional dynamic is what he kind of broke through where he could actually find that in himself, you know, instead of like needing it to be in another person. And I think that's a great example of how this can really liberate us, you know, so we can like extract from porn, maybe what it is that we're really tuning into. It's not just the physical, you know, and partners can do this with each other by just witnessing each other. And it's, a, it's kind of, for a lot of people, it's a big ask, you know, it's like, just kind of like pleasuring yourself in front of your partner and slowing down and being honest about the, um, the fears or like, kind of like just you know, creating a situation with each other where there's safety. Yes. And it's like, whatever comes up for you is okay. And I'm just going to be with you there and be attuned to you and kind of just like, let you process that in front of me and, and you need someone who's willing to do that with you and who's on the same path essentially yeah and who doesn't like recoil whenever you feel weak or yeah. feel scared and kind of like pull inward if they're like too confronted with their feelings or you know it's like kind of being like i'm with you yeah i feel it too yes yeah. you know and just kind of really creating that it's like creating a workshop or a retreat in your own bedroom you know yeah it's powerful i think that's a quite it, it's a practical and an easy introduction to what mm -hmm. gay tantra is because it helps us have that ex that sexual experience but at the same time thinking about the fears and limiting beliefs that get triggered as a result of that so we can start doing the inner work i want to talk a little bit about communication because okay. i found that communication is a key to a, a deeper, more fulfilling sexual experience. And I want to hear your perspective around that because I just think back on my life, whereas 
I've never, in the past, I had never communicated what I liked or what I wanted or how I wanted to be pleasured. And I found myself simply giving, giving, giving and trying to pleasure other people rather than looking at, so what do I like in the relationship? So it was my kind of trauma and uh, and in fears and limiting beliefs that I was dealing with. I'm not good enough. And therefore, I'm just going to try to pleasure other people. And this year, I started realizing that, you know what? The more I communicated what I liked and what I don't like, the more I enjoyed it. And also, the more chemistry I had with the other person. And the more the other person enjoyed that sexual interaction as well, because it satisfied their need to pleasure me as well. So, which is something yeah. that I didn't expect. A few weeks ago, I was, I was in a sauna in London and I was having this interaction with this guy and immediately he went for like pinching the nipple, which is something many guys love, but I hate. Uh-huh. And I'm like, don't touch the nipple. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> Instantly from the beginning, not nipple work. Please leave my nipple alone. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I'm like, I communicated, let's try this and let's try that. And how about we try this? rather than just living it up to guesswork and not knowing what the other person wants and also not explaining and communicating what I want as well. And it's such a simple thing to do, communicate what you want, but there is, again, so much shame around that and there's so much fear around that. And I want to hear your perspective around communication and why it can be so hard for many guys. Well, I mean, I love that you're, you're, I feel like you're right on it. It is hard, but you know, I think we can only communicate insofar as we are aware, mm-hmm. you know? So if we're not aware, you know, it's, for the longest time I thought, well, I am communicating. Well, I, I am communicating, the act of like trying, but I'm only maybe communicating about my defenses instead of the vulnerability or really, you know, so it's, again, this idea of childhood, even in the best situations with caregivers, even in the best environments where you might have, someone might have had parents who were positive about sex in, in a way, even then they didn't really like engage about it. Cause I hear guys say, well, my parents were pretty cool with sex, but they didn't ever talk about it or they didn't, or they felt a little embarrassed about it. And the kid picks up on that where it's like, okay, yeah. mom and dad aren't going to like beat me about this maybe, but they don't like to talk about it. So I guess maybe I shouldn't bring it up or, you know, so that's in the best case scenario. But in a lot of families, we were like hiding, there's antagonism, like violence, you know, there's a, it, so there's a spectrum, but everybody is dysregulated about sexuality. So we don't even know what to communicate about. You know, so you might yeah. say like, a, you know, it's like, how many times have you been in a situation where something's happening and you just feel frozen? What am I feeling right now? I, I, and you don't have the words, you know, because it's an interaction that is bringing you in contact with that dysregulation and that uncertainty and the lack of language. So I think for a lot of people it is learning to be aware, learning to reflect on their actions. What is, you know, what am I choosing? What is it bringing me getting to the point where you can really acknowledge that stand in that and then cultivating the language that's more accurate about what it is that you do want and need, you know, but if we don't know, we're just kind of like, we're just kind of lost. And it all goes back again to doing the inner work because the more yeah. you deal with those fears and limiting beliefs, the more you know. And yeah. therefore, the more you love yourself and create self-worth. And that creates a foundation for mm-hmm. communicating what it is that you like because that is a way of self-love and it's a way of self-acceptance and self-worth. I agree. Do you, do you know Betty Martin's work, The Wheel of Consent? No. Please, oh, please say yeah, so BettyMartin.org. Um, she has videos on there and she has a book called The Art of Receiving and Giving. And I yeah. love Betty Martin's work because she helps create that vocabulary and a shared understanding with partners or with oneself. 
what is it that I'm actually wanting here? Is it that I'm wanting to, to receive like a gift from, you know, of touch or am I wanting to take right now? Am I wanting to be in service? Am I wanting, you know, so there's these different aspects of touch just touching alone doesn't necessarily deliver that dynamic. And so getting clear on like, Oh, you know, for instance, people will complain, you know, it's like, you know, my partner doesn't touch me. And they're like, I do touch you, but it's it's not about touch. It's about like, oh yeah, when you touch me, you're touching me as if you're giving me something. And I actually want you to take from me. I want to feel like I'm the gift for you. You know, that's different. It feels very different in the body. Yeah. Right? You know, if you're on a Completely. massage table, right? Like a massage, the assumption there is that you're going to be given to and that the person who's massaging you is in service to you and your needs. But you we've all been on a massage table where it wasn't clearly negotiated or expressed, but we kind of feel like, oh, I think he's kind of taking something from me, you know, like it, without consent or without being acknowledged. But we actually do want that quite often. So it's learning how to like know in the touch, what is it that I really need? And maybe making that more clear and stated and requested. Like, I want you to just take from me. I want to give you my body. That's a different thing than being like, I want you to be in service to me and give, you know. Oh my God, yes. Because it may be the same physical act, but a, exactly. different, but a different intention behind it. Exactly. Yeah, BettyMartin.org. I'm not doing it justice. She's got videos on there you can watch for free. And she's just really an amazing educator. And uh, Thank you for sharing this. I will include all the links of that in the in the show notes below. Because you're so right. A lot of the times we may do something in, in a sexual act but we want something else out of it. And if yes. that intention is not there and we don't communicate it to the other person, then they don't know how to please us. So when you, exactly. when you express them, I want you to do this to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause then, it's like a, a blow job. Right. Well, what is it exactly about that? That I want yes. to feel? And I actually would help men with this all the time. Like, what do you want to feel? Try not to focus on the action that you want. Focus on what feelings do you hope to have and experience and walk away from with. And everyone has a different association. Yeah. Like I'll have guys in a workshop, everybody get on your knees, you know, like you're sucking dick. And I go around the room. What do you, what first thing that comes to your mind, say the, say the word that comes to your mind. And it's like full, excited, joyous, angry, resentful, um, hungry, you know? And I'm like, look at all the, very different, right? Same posture, yeah, completely different associations. Because it may be a blowjob, but someone may want to like be submissive or someone yes. may want to be like on top, like and, and give pleasure or receive pleasure from the blowjob or feel yeah. a certain way from it. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that is like mind blowing. Yeah, it's almost like you can suck a dick to, yeah, right. You can suck a dick to like give pleasure or you can suck it as if you're going to snatch it and run. <laughs> like, yeah. This is mine. There, there you <laughs> go. <is> mine. <laughs> yeah. And there's a different emotional substrate beneath the action. So touch itself, pleasure by itself is not necessarily consent. Just because something feels good doesn't mean it's consensual. What creates consent is are we in agreement with what's happening here and who's getting what from this interaction? Yes. And I think porn helps us understand those those hidden messages and intentions behind what we like because the kind the genre of porn we we choose to watch and the way we think about that that projection that you talked about earlier helps us understand that more and we're going to talk about porn in in a, in a later question but since we're on the topic of fulfilling sex i was wondering if there is a formula or certain components that you think are so important mm. in having fulfilling sex in a casual or any, uh, in a committed relationship. 
Yes. And that's a good question. At first I balked at the question like, Oh, formula, but then I'm actually, no, he's, there is a formula we need to have, we need to feel safe psychologically. And I don't mean safe from being physically harmed, but like psychologically, emotionally safe to express. If we don't feel that we're going to be really guarded, or maybe we're going to go into like a performance space. So we have to learn what conditions give us a sense of safety. So for instance, whenever we project onto someone, we objectify somebody. That's just about creating safety. It suggests to the psyche, like, well, you're just a body. I don't really need to take care of your feelings. There I can do kind of separate, you know, the the feeling that creates a sense of safety. So people objectify mm. each other so that they can feel safe from internal worry or shame yeah. or feeling inadequate to please or, you know, all that stuff. So we, we do that in different ways. So we have to have a sense of safety psychologically for some that might actually be not about objectifying. That might be about feeling really close and attuned to you know, like this person's really attuned and getting me. For some people, it's like feeling like they are allowed like a kind of permission to be themselves. You know, these are all internal feeling states. And if we feel that, then we go, okay, cool. And we can allow ourselves to feel more and kind of move into that experience. If we don't have those parameters, then we're going to be like avoidant, or we might actually have a disgust response and just kind of like, you know, People all the time will describe sex where they're attracted to somebody, but then they have a disgust response and they don't know how to make sense of this. And it's because, well, that disgust response is like a pushing away, you know, and that there's an inner conflict there. So I think that does that answer your question? Yes. So essentially feeling safe emotionally and psychologically sets the basis for everything else that comes in a fulfilling relationship, because when you feel safe, then you communicate. Then you respect yourself. Then you do what you have to do and you let the body speak (laughs) to each other. That was beautiful. Yeah, totally. Okay, let's talk about porn. Now, because I I know you create content for Himeros and I want you to talk a little bit about that as well. But there's so much judgment around porn in society and I do understand it. However, I do believe there is a middle ground there because personally, I love porn and I use it consciously in a conscious way to get inspiration, to see what I like. Again, as you said, use it as a mirror to see what I like in sex. And I actually consciously these past two years, as I've been doing my healing journey around sex, I'm like, okay, why do I like this genre of porn? What is it within me that likes this? And then I'm like, okay, so there is this kinky side of me that I want to explore. And there is something underneath that that I want to discover as well. So I used it as a way of like understanding who I am and self-awareness. Although I do understand at the same time that if you use it unconsciously, it can create comparison and it can create a lot of judgment around size and the way you look and all of that and like distort your perception of who you are and what you, who your body is. So I do get both sides. So can you please share a little bit about your perspective around how we can use porn in an empowering way rather than as a way of comparison? And then we can talk a little bit about Himeros and what it is and how it's different from other porn sites. Yeah, you know, I love this question. And I often am having this particular discussion with people. I think people are curious about porn. Um, I, you know, it, it to use it consciously is going to be different from person to person, you know, consciously yeah. for you might be different for than for me or from someone who's just maybe never asked themselves these questions before. So consciously is going to be kind of variable and reflective of where somebody's at in their journey. Of course. And so for me, using it consciously now means kind of like noticing if I'm kind of going towards porn as an automatic response instead of like sitting with what I'm feeling, you know, that 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 
that might be very, very different for somebody else. You know, for me, if I'm kind of going to porn in avoidance of my own feelings, I don't like that feeling. I don't like yeah. being aware of that. So I'll kind of say, okay, I'm going to stop watching porn for a little while and just kind of get on track. Like what, what's going on for me as an erotic yeah. game. That said, I think anytime we're watching something, whether it's porn or an action movie or whatever, you know, we're vicariously experiencing something through others and we are projecting onto you know, the hero or the, the, the person in the scene. And so if we don't know what it is that we're projecting, our bodies mm. are laying there at rest. Most people, when they watch porn are laying on their backs with their phone in their hand and their bodies at rest, but their mind is like sailing through many, many, many experiences. Like, and there's this disconnect in the body. So I always try to not pathologize it and say, Oh, you shouldn't be watching porn. I often am like, okay, so you have that experience. Great. But what about how to you use your body to make those same dynamics that you feel when you're watching porn. And most people that can't, I don't, I've had to learn it and I'm still learning, you know, it's like, yeah. how do I, I can relate to what I'm watching and maybe I'm really turned on by like, for instance, dominance is kind of challenging for me. I'm very dominant yeah. in my life in many ways, but in sex, it can be kind of hard for me because I am a smaller man. And I also just have a lot of shit with my dad. That's still, you know, still in process. So I'll relate to something that I'm watching maybe and feel really identified with the dominant figure in that what I'm watching. But to ask me to use my body to express that with my partner. It's different. It's it's like, oh, it's like trying to play a musical instrument. I don't know how to play. So interesting. You know, so it's kind of, and it, that's the thing with porn. So it's not that porn's bad. It's that, oh, if we just do that and we allow ourselves to go there again and again and again, and we never learn the embodied dynamics, then we don't know how to reproduce it. We just feel it and yeah. it feels stuck. And many people feel like I'm inhibited with my partner, but I have really amazing sex by myself with my videos. And I'm like, okay, yeah. if that feels good to you, great. It, for me, that doesn't feel satisfying. That feels like, God, I want to fix that. I don't like that. You know, it <laughs> activates that in me. So I think people can do some interpretation around it and try to figure out what are those basic questions? Like, who am I identifying with in this film? Like, which... Mm person or both, you know, or, you know, or many or however many are in the film, right? Or like, what do I, what am I tuning into? What is it a sound? Is it the way that he moves his body? Is it, and then you start asking yourself questions. What is, okay. So this person that I'm identifying with, what do I think he's thinking right now? Your thoughts are going to be your own answers, right? So because we don't, that actor is probably thinking, well, who knows what he's thinking, right? But he's in his own stuff. So that way you can start to kind of get from what you're watching, like your own identity and what it is that you're feeling and then trying to learn some embodied ways. Again, go back to the mirror, practice it. Like if I like stand in the mirror and make like kind of make postures and make faces and kind of experiment with what feels authentic and what doesn't, you start to see like, and then you kind of learn how to bring that in. And it can be really fun to do that with um, like in a workshop, you know, just kind of like taking BDSM workshops or whatever, where people are all working on it together and normalizing the discomfort and having someone facilitate it. But essentially you just have to learn how to use your body. And I don't know that Hemeros is any different. I mean, the intention behind it is to help create content that inspires people and that yeah. challenges assumptions. And it does, but there's still actors. And I have a dilemma when I go on these sites, I, I go on site to help film. And I always am thinking, oh, we're supposed to be showing not performing, but we're, we're making a performance. So like, it's kind of like, it's a dynamic that's kind of challenging. And um, we do create films in a way that a lot of studios don't like we support the actors, we provide emotional support, we have workshops for them. We give them follow up resources with mental health practitioners, we do the best that we can. But at the end of the day, it's like, each person's journey is a solo journey, you know, and 
I, I don't know. Like I, we get comments from people how it helps them, you know, to see Himro's films. And then there's also um, a level, I guess, at which the, a film can't help us get more in touch with ourselves at a certain point. It's what you said. It's about how we relate to those films and the degree to which we're willing to do the inner work of understanding that. But you know what? Knowing that there is a person like you behind those films mm -hmm. and the intention that goes into them, what Himeros is doing is, is, is pushing the porn industry towards a better place when it, because there are those resources. There is the support. And the fact that as a consumer, I know there is the support from the actors it automatically raises the vibration of, yes. of what yeah. that website is and therefore affects my own experience with, with, with those videos. Just to sum up what, you, what we just talked about around porn, it's about how we can use it to add to our own embodied experience of how we experience sex with our partners and use it as a way to grow and learn and keep on evolving as sexual beings. Wow, what a conversation, Finn. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I loved chatting with you. Can you please let everyone know where they can get in touch with you and where they can work with you? Absolutely, yeah. And thank you for having me and for your enthusiasm about this conversation and for the work that you're doing. And I'm so grateful that you are bringing your trauma lens to this work and helping other people and they're having this conversation, you know, because I, like you said, why the shame? Like it's, we don't have this agony over describing if like, I think I'm tired or I think I'm hungry as much as like, I want to have sex and oh my God, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. And if you want to get in touch with me more, I would say, go to my website. You can contact me through my website, which is findearheart.com. That's F-I-N-N-D-E-E-R-H-A-R-T.com. And all the links are in the show notes below. Finn, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Big hug. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any insights or a story to share, message me on Instagram at George Lizos and tell me all about it. I would love to hear from you. <laughs>